This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello there. This is Jeremy Myers, and you're listening to the One Verse Podcast. This is going to be my final podcast discussion on the topic of faith. It comes from my newest book, What is Faith?, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google, Kobo, Apple, pretty much anywhere books are sold, you can get it. And uh, the, the book looks at the concept of faith and lots of related questions to it, like dead faith and head faith versus heart faith. Uh, This concept of spurious faith, how to know if you really believe. If you've ever heard this illustration of the man walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope pushing a wheelbarrow, I talk about that in the book. The book also contains a discussion of several passages about faith, and one of them is the famous passage in James chapter 2, which mentions dead faith and demon faith. So we've talked about dead faith before. I've also talked about James 2 in previous podcast episodes. But today we're going to look specifically at this concept of demon faith or what the demons believe in James chapter 2. So I think you'll find this discussion fairly interesting. And again, if you want a longer, more detailed explanation, you can get my book, What is Faith? Pretty much anywhere books are sold. Okay, so let's just dive right into our study. Make sure you have your Bibles open to James chapter 2. And we, you'll probably need to be referring to that as we go along here. If you're right, driving in your car, walking your dog, don't have a Bible nearby, that's okay. Just look it up later, okay? Maybe re-listen to this podcast study. All right, let's dive in. So the reason this is important is because if you've ever listened to my podcast before, or some read some of my books, or even some of my blog posts at redeeminggod.com, I very often write and teach about the invitation of the gospel, the gospel invitation, which is that God gives eternal life to anyone and everyone who simply and only believes in Jesus for it, okay? The cry of the Reformation was, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And I take those words alone very seriously. It is by faith alone, believing alone. I do not believe that works play any role whatsoever in gaining eternal life, keeping eternal life, or proving that you have eternal life. Good works are important. Uh, They do play a great important role in the life of the Christian, but has nothing whatsoever to do with gaining, keeping, or proving our eternal life. Now, whenever I teach this, that eternal life is by faith alone, just believe in Jesus for it, good works are not involved. Whenever I teach that, almost always, I get someone saying, oh, but even the demons believe. And of course, they're referring to James chapter 2.19, which says this. In fact, just last week when I was talking about the difference between faith and faithfulness, One of the commenters on Facebook said, oh, but even the demons believe. (laughs) Okay, and this is thrown out all the time by people who object to this idea that eternal life is received as a free gift from God simply by believing in Jesus for it. And so they say, but even the demons believe. And the idea here is, well, the demons don't have eternal life and they have faith alone, don't they? And so... 
you know, it can't be enough for humans to just believe in Jesus because then, you know, what's the difference between us and demons? Okay. So, and I've had this discussion on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and other places. Again, anytime I write or teach on this, somebody seems to bring up the faith of demons in James chapter two. All right. So let me try to explain for you what is going on in James chapter two and what this faith of demons is that James has in mind. All right. So the first thing to recognize is that people believe all sorts of things. I don't know how many millions or maybe even billions of beliefs you might have. As I talk to you right now, I'm sitting on a chair and I'm sitting on this chair because I believe it will hold me up. I've read books and I've seen drawings and heard scientific explanations for the fact that the earth orbits around the sun. And because of the evidence presented to me about that scientific fact, I believe it. I believe the earth orbits around the sun. I believe that my children love me. I believe that coffee is delicious. Here's my coffee cup. I drink more coffee than I should every single day. It helps me wake up in the morning, but I also love the taste of it. Now, none of those beliefs, even though they're correct beliefs, right? Some of them are personal beliefs. Some of them are scientific beliefs, right? None of those beliefs, though, will give me eternal life simply by believing them, right? I I sit in this chair. I believe it's going to hold me up. Is that going to give me eternal life? No, it won't. Uh, I believe the earth orbits around the sun. Does that give me eternal life? No, it doesn't. I believe my children love me. Does that give me eternal life? No, it doesn't. I believe I like coffee. Does that give me eternal life? No, it doesn't. Okay? The same thing holds true, you ready, for beliefs about God and Jesus Christ. I can believe all sorts of things about God and Jesus and yet not get eternal life by believing them. Okay? For example, I can believe that God exists. But guess what? Lots of people believe God exists, but that doesn't give them eternal life. The Bible nowhere promises eternal life to people who believe that God exists. Furthermore, I can believe the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Three persons, one God. It's hard to understand, but I believe it. But guess what? Even that does not grant a person eternal life. In fact, the opposite's also true. People can have eternal life even if they don't believe in the Trinity. All of the Old Testament saints, for example, I believe many of them Most of them, all of the Old Testament saints anyway, will be in heaven, do have eternal life. But they did not, as far as we know, believe in the Trinity. Uh, Furthermore, I believe that God created all things. We read about this in Genesis. I believe that God is holy, that he is righteous, loving, and good. All of these beliefs are good and right and biblical and correct, but they do not give me eternal life simply by believing in them. Regarding Jesus, we can believe numerous things about Jesus. I can believe that he was God incarnate, that he was born in the flesh. I can believe that he was born of a virgin. I can believe that he lived a sinless life. I can believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. And I can go on and on and on. I can believe all the miracles that he, that he uh, performed during his ministry. Okay, I can believe all these truths about Jesus, and yet none of them give me 
eternal life. God does not promise eternal life to those who believe that he exists. God does not promise eternal life to those who believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead the third day, and ascended into heaven. All of those truths are part of the gospel. But nowhere does the Bible say God gives eternal life to those who believe these particular facts. Okay, Again, just like God doesn't give eternal life to those who believe the earth rotates around the sun, so also God doesn't give eternal life to those who believe some of these other true theological facts. So how do you receive eternal life? The Bible is very clear on this, okay, on what you need to believe. To receive eternal life, you have to believe in the right person for the right promise. Specifically, you have to believe in Jesus, he's the right person, for eternal life. That's the promise. Let me put this another way. You can believe in the wrong person for the right thing. You can believe in Moses for eternal life. But that's not going to give you eternal life, is it? Because you're believing in the wrong person for the right thing. You can also believe in the right person for the wrong thing. Uh, I could believe, and some people do, some people believe in Jesus for great wealth. You know, prosperity gospel teachers. But they're believing in the right person, Jesus, for the wrong thing, great wealth. Notice, though, that neither one of those is the person believing in the right person for the right thing, in the person for the promise. To receive eternal life, we believe in Jesus for everlasting life. All right, now, with that as the foundation— we can talk about what demons believe. Let me say something shocking. I believe, (laughs) it's a joke, (laughs) Uh, I believe that demons are probably more correct in their theology than most Christians. I mean, think about this. Demons, one of the things they do is try to deceive humans into believing wrong things. Why do demons do this? Because they know the correct things we're supposed to believe, and they probably even believe many of these things themselves and know that they can damage our lives, damage our fellowship with God, damage our relationships and our fellowship with other people, even get us to sin and and do all sorts of bad things if they can get us to believe the wrong things. And when they do that, when they are successful in getting us to believe the wrong things, it's not because they believe the wrong things, but because they believe the right things and they know they're damaging and destructive to us if they can get us to believe the wrong things. Anyway, that's sort of a side tangent thing. But but think about it. Demons believe that God's a trinity, right? (laughs) They, of course, know what God is like. Uh, They know, they believe that God is holy, that he is righteous. They believe, they know that, that that Jesus was God incarnate that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. Demons believe all those things. They know them to be true. They probably know true things about God, more true things about God than we humans do. We're still learning. They know these things. We could probably say that demons have better theology than many Christians. 
demons probably believe more accurate truths about God than many Christians do. Okay? The problem, however, with demons isn't that they believe the wrong things about God. They believe the right things. This isn't in what they know about God or what they believe. The problem with demons is they don't like what they know about God. In fact, they also have some incorrect beliefs about God that messes up all of their proper beliefs. Incorrect beliefs that they can win in rebellion against God, that their needs, their desires are more important than God's needs. Okay? This is what led to their rebellion in the first place. So again, whole tangent, we don't need to get into that too much. But note this, and this is what is so important as we get into James 2. When it comes to the book of James, James 2 specifically, okay, we hear this thing in James 2.19, well, even the demons believe. Yeah, of course the demons believe. The demons believe all sorts of things right? Uh, the, 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 but, but what they believe isn't giving them eternal life. Demons, along with everything else they believe, they do not believe in the right person for the right promise. They do, demons do not believe in Jesus for eternal life. Okay? Uh, part of this is because eternal life isn't offered to the demons. It's only offered to humans. Um, so, it, but again, yes, they believe, and that's not the big deal. Now, when we come to James chapter 2, though, James tells us exactly what belief he's talking about here in James chapter 2. So let's just back out of this idea about demon faith and what demons believe and sort of approach James chapter 2 uh, from the context, okay? So uh, James chapter 2 obviously fits within the book of James. And it's important right from the outset to recognize that James is writing to believers. This is so important because lots of people approach James chapter 2 as if this section in the book of James is, tell, is where James is telling unbelievers how to receive eternal life. And if you read it that way, then you're going to get all sorts of works added into your gospel message. But James is not writing to unbelievers telling them how to become believers or how to receive eternal life. James is writing to Christians, to believers, telling them how to properly function as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, to function within the church. There's all sorts of problems in the church, and James is writing to these Christians, to people who are already believers, telling them, hey, live this way, not that way. Many people, in fact, have noticed many parallels between the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Lots of people sort of say that James is a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And I've talked about the Sermon on the Mount before. As you know, the Sermon on the Mount also is not a place where Jesus is telling people how to become Christians, how to gain eternal life. The Sermon on the Mount is a discipleship manual. As my followers, Jesus is telling his believers, people who believe in him, uh, people who want to follow him, here's how you should live. Here's what following me is going to take. Here's the characteristics and qualities that I expect out of people who are going to follow me. It's a discipleship manual. And that's what James is as well, okay? James is not telling unbelievers how to receive eternal life. He is writing to believers, telling them, hey, you have eternal life. Here is how you should live as a result. Here is how you should live as a follower of Jesus. Okay? He's telling Christians 
how to live a profitable Christian life. And that is primarily what James chapter 2, especially verses 14 to 26, is all about. All right? This passage is not about tests for determining whether you have eternal life or not. Eternal life's not even mentioned in this context, okay? It's how to live as a profitable servant of Jesus Christ. In fact, the word profit is mentioned several times in verses 14 and 16, and the opposite of profit, this uh, P-R-O-F-I-T, is this concept of having dead faith. You can either have a profitable faith or a dead faith. The two concepts are opposites. You can either have a dead faith or a useless faith, or a faith that functions and is living and active the way it's supposed to. And by the way, going back to this idea of the health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel, the profit that James is talking about is not monetary wealth, but instead living as an energized, successful, fully committed, generous, loving, caring follower of Jesus Christ. Right? We don't want to live useless lives. Do you want to live a useless life? <laughs> I hope not. I don't want to live a useless life. I want my life to be profitable for the gospel, helpful to other people, encouraging, edifying, to, to, to help spread the gospel and help other people connect and attach themselves to God. And that's what James is encouraging his readers to do also. Okay? Now, here's where we get into the nitty-gritty details of James chapter 2. All right? The main point of James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, this whole idea of dead faith and demon faith and all of that, is that uh, lots of Christians believe, rightfully so, that God can help needy people. All right? Specifically, James mentions there are people in the midst, in, in their congregations, in their church, that are hungry and without clothes, okay? They're hungry and they're naked. And James is saying, if you go to them and you say, I believe God can feed you. I believe God can clothe you. I will pray for you, brother. James is saying, that's fine. But if you really want your faith to be active, don't just believe that God can provide for their needs. Instead, do something about it. <laughs> That's what James is saying. Notice it's not about eternal life, but it's about meeting the tangible needs of other brothers and sisters in our fellowship. You see some without clothes and daily food? Don't say, I believe God can provide for you. Instead, give them food and clothes. This is what James is saying. Don't just believe, do something. I talk about this in my book, What is Prayer? Okay, you want to see more answers to your prayer? Then don't stop at just praying for somebody. Seek to be an answer to your own prayers, right? That's why we're here on this earth, by the way. God gives us the things we're to pray for, not so that we can sit back, twiddle our thumbs, and wait for him to answer, but so that he can direct and guide and inspire us to answer our own prayers. We are the hands and feet and voice of Jesus so that we can go and meet the needs that he lays on our heart to pray about. Praying is the first step towards actually helping accomplish, helping do the things that we pray about. All right, so James is saying in James chapter 2, when someone's in need, don't believe 
God can provide for them. You go provide for them. Don't tell them, I'll pray for you. Instead, go provide for them. Okay, again, so this has nothing whatsoever to do with gaining eternal life, keeping eternal life, proving that you have eternal life. This person is believing that God can provide food and clothing to someone in need. And James says, if you believe that, wonderful, go provide it. Okay? And, and, And notice, you don't get eternal life by believing or giving clothes to people or giving food to people. That is not how you receive eternal life. How do you receive eternal life? John 3.16, 5.24, You receive eternal life by believing in Jesus for it. Okay, now, that takes us, that's just 14, 15, and 16. James 2, 14, 15, and 16. And you don't want to know what, if that's where James stopped this discussion, we would not be having this debate about the faith of demons. There would never be this misunderstanding about the relationship between faith and works. Everyone would recognize James wants us to do more for people in need, then just pray for them or just state our belief. God will help you, brother. Just believe. Okay? We would realize, oh, James wants us to practically get involved. And it's pretty clear in verses 14, 15, and 16. What happens, though, is James goes on to write verses 17 through 26. And this is where all of the problems enter into this passage. Now, I don't have time to talk about all of the problems in this passage that have arisen over the decades, over the centuries, in translating and understanding this text. But I did talk about this extensively in in, uh, episode number 124 of the One Verse podcast, and I also have several articles on my blog that deal with some of the translation problems and issues, theological issues, of of, uh, James 2, 17-26. Okay, one of them is known as epistolary diatribe. It's a big uh, fancy term for uh, uh, ways that Peter and Paul and James used um, quotes in their in, in their in their passages. Okay, they didn't have quote marks back then. So how do you know where quote? I, I, again, I, I'm getting off into things we don't need to get into. Okay, go listen to episode 124 of the One Verse podcast, or, or access some of these articles on my blog to read more about this. Okay. Um, But let's just go in here to the main argument, though, of these verses. Let me just try to summarize it. First, the word dead, this is important to recognize, the word dead does not mean non-existent. We've talked about this extensively in previous podcast episodes. I'm just refreshing your memory. Instead, the word dead means unproductive, unprofitable, right? Think about a dead body. Does a dead body still exist? Of course it does. You can see it, feel it, touch it. It's there. It's just not accomplishing what God intended a body to accomplish. So the same thing happens when Paul, I'm sorry, when James writes about dead faith. Does dead faith still exist? Of course it does, just like a dead body still exists. But the faith, just like the dead body, is not accomplishing what God intends it to accomplish. So it is unprofitable. You must never ever say that dead faith is not faith, or dead faith is no faith. Or dead faith is a lack of faith. That's None of those statements are true. Dead faith does exist. It is real. It is there. A person really believes. It's just unproductive faith, unprofitable faith. Remember, this entire section is about profit, profitability of our faith. That's the first thing. Dead faith is real faith. It's just unproductive. Second, this is so important. Someone comes along and they objects. They object to what James is writing, all right? 
And depending on which Bible translation you look at, the the end quote stops at different places. This is that epistolary diatribe thing I mentioned, mentioned earlier. And you just go compare some of the various Bible translations, and you'll see that there is some confusion you know, the, the objector says, but someone will say right there in verse eight, uh, verse 18, uh, James is introducing this uh, objector, but the problem, and then we have this open quote, you know, you have faith, I have works. The problem is, where does the quote end? All right, and the, the answer from Greek literature, we know this by comparing how other Greek writers from that time showed that they were introducing an objection, an imaginary objector, and then how they showed their readers, okay, the objector's done talking, I am now going to refute them. Okay, it's called the epistolary diatribe, it was a way of writing back then, they didn't have quote marks, so they used other indicators. What we know by seeing this is that the objector, their words, are all of verses 18 and 19. It's not half of 18, it's not all of verse 18, it's all of verses 18 and 19. There's other examples of this in Romans 9 and 1 Corinthians 15. Anyway, what this means, though, (laughs) are you ready? The statement, well, even the demons believe and tremble, guess what? That is not the words of James. Those are the words of a person who is disagreeing with James, who is objecting to what James is saying. So if someone quotes James 2.19, well, even the demons believe, they are not siding with James. They are siding with somebody who disagrees with James. Interesting, huh? It's like quoting Satan when he brings temptations to Jesus out in the wilderness and quoting Satan with approval. Well, you don't want to quote Satan with approval to make your theological point. So also, you don't want to quote someone who is objecting to James to make your theological point. The basic point of this objector is this, okay? Uh, James has just said that if we are going to meet someone's needs, it's not enough to just believe. We need to actually help them. And the objector comes along and says, that's rubbish. The two are not connected at all. And what he does is he takes this objector, takes the, 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 the cardinal, the central theological belief statement of Judaism. Remember, James is Jewish, and he's writing to a Jewish Christian audience, Messianic Christian, Christian audience. And he takes the central Jewish belief, the Shema, the belief that God is one. And he says, even the demons believe this, that God is one. And all they do is tremble. It doesn't affect their behavior at all. In fact, they do the opposite. They still rebel against God. So their faith does nothing for them. They have proper faith. They have proper belief. But it doesn't do anything for them. Okay? It is unproductive, unprofitable for them. It doesn't change their behavior. Uh, and, and again... Note that the demons are not believing in Jesus for eternal life. That is not the question. By the way, demons do believe, we can be certain of it, we see this all over in the Gospels, demons do believe that when people believe in Jesus for eternal life, they get eternal life. But that's different than demons believing in Jesus for eternal life for themselves. Okay? Again, this is another area where demons have correct theology, They know that the central gospel invitation is that God gives eternal life to anyone who believes in Jesus for it, 
They know that, which is why they are so intent on people around the world not hearing and not understanding that message. Um, but uh, the demons do not believe it for themselves because eternal life has not been offered to demons who believe in Jesus for it. Okay? Anyway, that's not, the, that's not what James is talking about. Lots of people think that's what James, actually now, this objector to James is talking about, but that's not what he's talking about. So, after verse 19, now James sets out to refute. We know this because he says, but who are you, O foolish man? Right? Um, or, or do you want to know, O foolish man? Right there in verse 20. So the objector, or James is going to refute this objector. And just as the objector took the most popular, the most central theological belief of Judaism in an attempt to refute James, James says, oh yeah, two can play that game. And he takes, James takes, the most important figure in Judaism, which is who? Abraham, the father of faith. And he uses a very particular event in the life of Abraham to prove that Abraham's faith led him to obey God and perform certain actions, okay, which in turn, and this is key, allowed people to recognize that Abraham was God's friend. All right? And again, lots of people get confused about this because when James uses this, this example out of Abraham's life, to refute the subjector. Lots of people think that James is referring to Genesis 15, where Abraham believed God and it, his faith, was credited to him for righteousness. This is when Abraham was justified, when Abraham received eternal life. And when Paul in Romans and Galatians refers to the faith of Abraham, Paul is pointing to Genesis 15, where Abraham receives eternal life. That's because that's is what Paul is arguing for. How do you receive eternal life? Same way Abraham did, by believing. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. We believe in Jesus and it is credited to us as righteousness. We receive eternal life. But James is not pointing to Genesis 15. He's pointing to Genesis 22. When Abraham was declared righteous Again, but this time, not by God. This time, by men. All right? The declaration of righteousness that James has in mind is not when God declared Abraham righteous, but when humans declared Abraham righteous. And why did humans do that? Because they saw what Abraham did. Okay? So, the objector uses the most famous theological belief statement of Judaism, the Shema. James says, two can play that game. I will use the most famous, the premier example, the father of faith, the most important figure in Judaism, Abraham. And not just when he received eternal life, that's because that's not what James has in mind. Instead, it's when he was declared righteous, when human beings saw that he was righteous in Genesis chapter 22. Now, James is not done. He's like, all right. This not only works for Abraham, but I'm also going to take another famous figure. In fact, the exact opposite. Abraham is the father of faith, you know, this man uh, in, in Jewish history and tradition and culture, the most important. Let's take the exact opposite. We're going to take a female foreign prostitute. 
and he points to Rahab. Okay, this is the knockout punch. Abraham's the forefather of faith. So now he takes the extreme opposite. This applies not just to Abraham, but to a foreign, sinful prostitute, Rahab. Rahab also believed something about God. And when the spies came to her, she acted on her belief and sought to deliver and rescue them by sending them home, sending them out in another direction. All right? Now, if she had just believed in God and done nothing, right, she would have still had faith, right? We cannot say that she wouldn't have had faith. But it would have done nothing to deliver her, deliver her family, or deliver these spies, the two spies. But because she believed something and then acted upon it, it was profitable in this life for herself and for her family. She spared her the life of herself and her family. Her faith became useful, profitable. All right? And this is what James is, is arguing in this passage. Here's the overall point. Faith, good. Faith is wonderful. And if all you do is believe, then it's still faith. And nobody can tell you you don't believe. If, if you do believe, then you believe. But if you want your faith to be profitable in this life, okay, to be helpful towards yourself and towards others, if you want it to be effective, energizing, then you must act on what you believe. This has nothing to do with eternal life. Again, eternal life is the free gift of God to anyone who believes in Jesus for it. But if we want to move on from there and have our other beliefs become profitable and helpful, then we not only need to believe them, we need to act upon them. All right? So that is the meaning of James chapter 2. And notice this faith of demons has nothing whatsoever to do with gaining eternal life, keeping eternal life, proving you have eternal life. Um, God did not offer eternal life to demons. And the demons believe all sorts of things. All right? But don't quote that verse any longer, <laughs> trying to refute the free grace gospel message that eternal life is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Because when you quote James 2.19, trying to refute the freeness of God's grace, all you're doing is, is citing, taking sides, with an objector who disagrees with James. You don't want to do that, do you? Agree with James because he is the inspired author of Scripture here. Faith is important, but for it to be profitable and effective in your life and the lives of others, you need to act on that. Look, if you want to get rid of sin in your lives, then you have to believe that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you need to step out and take actual actions that the Spirit is causing, inviting you to take. If you want to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, take care of orphans and widows, by the way, all of this is what James talks about, you can't just believe that God is going to feed and clothe and take care of them. You have to step out and do something. If you want to control your tongue, this is James chapter 3, you can't just believe that God wants you to control your tongue. You need to discipline your tongue and train it. Okay? Like a ship or a horse with a bridle or a, or a, forgot those things, the rudder. Okay? This is what, it's a very practical letter. He's saying belief is not enough when it comes to changing our lives or helping others. For that, we need action. All right? Faith is the beginning. 
But in all these areas that God invites us to partner with him, to join with him in getting involved, changing the world, helping other people, we must do more than pray. When you see a need on Facebook or need when your friends or your neighbors, don't tell them, I believe God can provide for you. My hopes and prayers are with you. You know, we see this all the time on Facebook. Some tragedy happens and the watching non-Christian world gets so upset at us when all we do is send our thoughts and prayers their way. Why do they get upset? You know what? God's upset at that too. Because people in their time of need, they don't need our thoughts and prayers. They need our help. They need our love our service, our gifts, our generosity, our hands, our feet, our voice. They need us to come around and actually meet their need. Faith is the beginning. But in all these areas where God calls us to get involved, we must do more than pray. We must do something. So look, that's James chapter 2. Hope it makes sense. (laughs) This idea about faith of demons, it does not disprove the free offer of eternal life to anyone who believes in Jesus for it. In fact, it supports it. All right? So, look, if you have questions or comments about this, you can leave it in the comment section on my website. Go to redeeminggod.com. Even the demons believe. And and also, you can get my book, uh, What is Faith? Available on Amazon. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back here next week. We'll be moving on from faith to discuss another topic and to look at various verses from the Bible uh, that deal with those topics topics. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you then.